Welcome to another in-depth exploration of biblical missionaries, written by Borge Schantz, edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 8. Cross-Cultural Missions Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, the New King James Version. How interesting that Jesus spent so much of his earlier years in Galilee, known as Galilee of the Gentiles. Matthew 4.15, no doubt named because of the non-Jewish influence in the province. In this region, in Nazareth, Jesus spent the majority of his years before starting his public ministry. Thanks to its position, Nazareth was near major routes traveled by Roman army units, as well as merchant caravans. As a result, Jesus must have been in contact with non-Jews his whole early life, not to mention the time in Egypt. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 31 tells us how Jesus was treated by the people in his hometown. So he came to Nazareth, that Nazareth where he had been brought up, and he entered the synagogue as was his custom on the Sabbath day, And he stood up to read. And there was handed to him the roll of the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened, unrolled the book, and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, the anointed one, the Messiah, to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set forth as delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, and broken down by calamity, to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. Then he rolled up the book, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were gazing attentively at him. And he began to speak to them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled, while you are present and hearing. And all spoke well of him, and marveled at the words of grace that came forth from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So he said to them, You will doubtless quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have learned by hearsay that you did in Capernaum, do here also in your own town. Then he said, Solemnly I say to you, No prophet is acceptable and welcome in his own town or country. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were closed up for three years and six months, so that there came a great famine over all the land. 
And yet Elijah was not sent to a single one of them, but only to Zarephath in the country of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and yet not one of them was cleansed by being healed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage. And rising up, they pushed and drove him out of the town, and laying hold of him, they led him to the projecting upper part of the hill on which their town was built, that they might hurl him headlong down over the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went on his way. And he descended to Capernaum, a town of Galilee, and there he continued to teach the people on the Sabbath days. After his rejection in Nazareth, Jesus centered his ministry in the cosmopolitan Galilean city of Capernaum. Contacts with Gentiles and their world significantly impacted his ministry and teaching. Even though he focused on Israel, the wider world was his concern. During the more than three years of his ministry between his baptism and ascension, on at least six occasions, Jesus had direct contact with persons from Gentile nations. In this exploration, we will look at the gospel accounts of these people. Samaritan woman. In the time of Jesus, ancient Israel was divided into three provinces Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Samaria was situated between Galilee and Judea. The Samaritans worshipped the God of Israel, but not in the same way the Jews did. As an initial mission field, Samaria was ideal for the apostles because it was close to Israel geographically. Let's listen to John chapter 4, verses 4 to 30. As you listen, what can you learn from this story about how Jesus witnessed to non-Jews? In what ways did Jesus step outside the bounds of tradition in order to reach out to this woman? Listen. It was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria, and in doing so, he arrived at a Samaritan town called Sychar, near the tract of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down to rest by the well. It was then about the sixth hour, about noon. Presently, when a woman of Samaria came along to draw water, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone off into the town 
to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, and a woman, for a drink? For the Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you had only known and had recognized God's gift and who this is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him instead, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, no drawing bucket, and the well is deep. How then can you provide living water? Where do you get your living water? Are you greater than and superior to our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and who used to drink from it himself, and his sons and his cattle also? Jesus answered her, All who drink of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever takes a drink of the water that I will give him shall never, no, never be thirsty any more. But the water that I will give him shall become a spring of water welling up, flowing, bubbling continually within him unto, into, for eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never get thirsty, nor have to come continually all the way here to draw. At this, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have spoken truly in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you are now living with is not your husband. In this you have spoken truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I see and understand that you are a prophet. Our forefathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where it is necessary and proper to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither merely in this mountain nor merely in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not know what you are worshipping. You worship what you do not comprehend. We do know what we are worshipping. We worship what we have knowledge of and understand. For after all, salvation comes from among the Jews. A time will come, however, indeed it is already here, when the true, genuine worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, or reality. For the Father is seeking just such people as these, as his worshippers. God is a spirit, a spiritual being, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, or in reality. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ, the Anointed One, and when he arrives, he will tell us everything we need to know and make it clear to us. Jesus said to her, I who now speak with you am he. 
Just then his disciples came and they wondered. They were surprised. They were astonished to find him talking with a woman, a married woman. However, not one of them asked him, What are you inquiring about? Or what do you want? Or why do you speak with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went away to the town. And she began telling the people, Come, see a man who has told me everything that I ever did. Can this be? Is not this the Christ? Must not this be the Messiah, the Anointed One? So the people left the town and set out to go to him. The Samaritan woman was alert, was well informed about the history of her people, and she asked intelligent questions. She led the conversation with her questions. Jesus, however, responded to her questions and statements with the things that would benefit the woman spiritually. The only point where Jesus changed the conversation was when he told her to bring her husband, knowing that she wasn't married but had been with several men. Of course, asking her to do this opened the way for him to reach out to her, however uncomfortable she had become. Nevertheless, by doing this, he was able to witness to her in a powerful way. Also, we shouldn't miss what happened in John chapter 4 and verse 27. Again, the verse says, Just then his disciples came and they wondered, they were surprised, astonished, to find him talking with a woman. However, not one of them asked him, What are you inquiring about? Or, What do you want? Or, Why do you speak with her? The disciples were surprised because Jesus was talking with this foreign woman. Jesus transgressed a few Jewish customs. First, asking a Samaritan woman to give him a drink. And second, being alone with her. In Israel, a man could not be seen alone with a woman unless she was a family member. Jesus followed Jewish customs when in Israel. However, in Samaria, he was outside Jewish territory and not bound by Jewish traditions. Even though, as we have noticed elsewhere, Jesus distinguished between human-made traditions and the commands and precepts of God. How far out of your own comfort zone are you willing to go in order to minister to others? How far does Jesus want you to go on his behalf? The Roman Army Officer Let's listen to two tellings of the same incident. First, we will hear from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. As Jesus went into Capernaum, a centurion came up to him, begging him, and saying, Lord, my servant boy is lying at the house paralyzed and distressed with intense pains. And Jesus said to him, 
I will come and restore him. But the centurion replied to him, Lord, I am not worthy or fit to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant boy will be cured. For I also am a man subject to authority, with soldiers subject to me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard him, he marveled and said to those who followed him, who adhered steadfastly to him, conforming to his example in living and, if need be, in dying also, I tell you truly, I have not found so much faith as this with anyone, even in Israel. I tell you, many will come from east and west and will sit at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons and heirs of the kingdom will be driven out into the darkness outside, where there will be weeping and a grinding of teeth. Then to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant boy was restored to health at that very moment. We will now hear a physician's version in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After Jesus had finished all that he had to say in the hearing of the people on the mountain, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a bondservant who was held in honor and highly valued by him, who was sick and at the point of death. And when the centurion heard of Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and make his bondservant well. And when they reached Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, He is worthy that you should do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he built us our synagogue at his own expense. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent some friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not sufficiently worthy to have you come under my roof. Neither did I consider myself worthy to come to you, but just speak a word and my servant boy will be healed. For I also am a man, daily subject to authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes. And to my bondservant, Do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and he turned and said to the crowd that followed him, I tell you, not even in all Israel, have I found such great faith as this? And when the messengers who had been sent returned to the house, they found the bondservant who had been ill quite well again. What does this story teach us about how even the largest cultural divides can be breached for the sake of the gospel? In Capernaum, a Roman officer of centurion rank commander of a hundred men, sought out Jesus. The Jews resented the occupying Roman army, and many Romans hated the Jews. Despite this vast cultural and political divide, we can see the close relationship here between this Roman 
and the Jews. In Luke's account, he said that the centurion went to the elders of the Jews, Luke chapter 7 and verse 3, New International Version, to ask them to bring Jesus. And fascinatingly enough, they did just that, asking Jesus to come heal the man's servant. Who were these elders? The texts don't say, but they seemed to have related to Jesus differently than did some of the other leaders. Meanwhile, the centurion was obviously a man of faith. His words to Jesus, Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed, Matthew chapter 8, verse 8, were an incredible testimony to his belief in Jesus. The centurion did not wait to see whether the Jews themselves would receive the one who claimed to be their Messiah. As the light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world, John 1, 9, had shone upon him, he had, though afar off, discerned the glory of the Son of God. Ellen G. White wrote those words in her book, The Desire of Ages, on page 317. The centurion understood and respected Jewish religious sensitivities. He knew that according to law, a Jew was not allowed to enter a Gentile's house, so he requested that Jesus minister from a distance. The servant was healed. The faith of the Gentile centurion was rewarded. Jesus pointed out that the centurion was a prototype of the great day when people from all over the world would join the Jewish patriarchs at the Messianic banquet. Whatever else one can take from the accounts of this healing, we can see that vast cultural divides were not able to keep the Jews and this Roman apart. What lessons can you take from this about how you must learn to transcend whatever cultural differences you can in good conscience, in order to reach out to people. How did Jesus relate to non-Jews? Let's listen to two stories that will help us answer this question. Our first story is found in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39, which say, Then they came to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Now when Jesus stepped out on land, there met him a certain man out of the town who had or was possessed by demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he lived not in a house but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he raised a deep, terrible cry from the depths of his throat and fell down before him in terror and shouted loudly, What have you to do with me, 
Jesus, Son of the Most High God, what have we in common? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus was already commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had snatched and held him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and fetters. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilderness, the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he answered, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss or the bottomless pit. Now a great herd of swine was there feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged him to give them leave to enter these, and he allowed them to do so. Then the demons came out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep cliff into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and told it into the town and in the country. And the people went out to see what had occurred. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right sound mind. And they were seized with alarm and fear. And those also who had seen it told them how he who had been possessed with demons was restored to health. Then all the people of the country surrounding the Gerasenes district asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were possessed and suffering with dread and terror. So he entered a boat and returned to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. But the man from whom the demons had gone out kept begging and praying that he might accompany him and be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and recount the story of how many and great things God has done for you. And the man departed, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The region of the Gadarenes was an area formerly dominated by Greece, but it had become part of the Roman province of Judea. The man in the tombs was obviously possessed, and his possession manifested itself in horrific ways. He truly needed divine aid, which he got. That this liberation took place in Gentile territory is confirmed by the presence of the pigs. It is interesting to notice the reaction to this economic loss when the pigs drowned. The townspeople asked Jesus to leave their territory. Jesus in turn asked the healed man to stay. He was to witness to his own people about Jesus. No doubt, too, his changed life, even more than his words, would be a powerful testimony. What lessons should the disciples have picked up seeing Jesus minister to people who were not part of the covenant people? Our second story is from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. And going away from there, Jesus withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, 
a woman who was a Canaanite from that district came out and, with a loud, troublesomely urgent cry, begged, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is miserably and distressingly and cruelly possessed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and, kneeling, worshipped him, and kept praying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right, proper, or becoming, or fair, to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little pups, the little whelps, Eat the crumbs that fall from their young master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was cured from that moment. How do these two stories help you understand how Jesus related to people whose nationality was different than his? How do you understand? Jesus' words to the Canaanite woman. In this incident, the child from the region of Tyre and Sidon was demon-possessed and suffering terribly, Matthew 15.22, the New International Version. Her mother, a Canaanite, illustrated the cultural melting pot of that region. Her Canaanite ancestors were displaced from their land when Israel inherited it under the leadership of Joshua. Here again, we see Jesus reaching out to people who weren't of Israel proper. In talking to her, Jesus used somewhat harsh language, likening her people to dogs. But it tested her faith and showed her humble willingness to get the help she needed. The Savior is satisfied. He has tested her faith in Him. By His dealings with her, He has shown that she who has been regarded as an outcast from Israel is no longer an alien, but a child in God's household. As a child, it is her privilege to share in the Father's gifts. Christ now grants her request and finishes the lesson to the disciples. The book is entitled, The Desire of Ages. That glimpse of grace is found on page 401. The author's name is Ellen G. White. The lesson was that, contrary to their understanding, the work of the gospel is not just for the Jews, but is to go to other nations as well.
lepers. Let's listen to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19 from the Amplified Bible. What lessons do you hear, regardless of your nationality or origin? As he went on his way to Jerusalem, it occurred that Jesus was passing along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into one village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they raised up their voices and called, Jesus, Master, take pity and have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go at once and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cured and made clean. Then one of them, upon seeing that he was cured, turned back, recognizing and thanking and praising God with a loud voice. And he fell prostrate at Jesus' feet, thanking him over and over. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was there no one found to return and to recognize and give thanks and praise to God except this alien? And he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith, your trust and confidence that spring from your belief in God has restored you to health. Notice first that the unfortunate men all knew Jesus. They called him by both name and title, pleading for intervention. What's fascinating, too, is that they were not cleansed right then and there. They were told simply to go and present themselves to the priests, as specified in Leviticus chapter 14 and verse 2, which says, This shall be the law of the leper on the day when he is to be pronounced clean. He shall be brought to the priest at a meeting place outside the camp. The fact that they just turned around and went showed that they believed in him and his power to heal them. Only the Samaritan, though, expressed appreciation for what Jesus had done. The nine did not forget to go to the priests, but they neglected to give thanks to their healer. The Samaritan, as the text reads, turned around even before he got to the priests. Though the text doesn't say that the other nine were Jews, the location makes it very likely. Besides, the fact that Luke specifically mentioned that he was a Samaritan and that Jesus called him this stranger in Luke chapter 17 and verse 18, makes it likely that the other nine were, indeed, Jews. Although Jews normally had no dealings with the Samaritans, their malady transcended those barriers. Common misfortune and tragedy, what Albert Schweitzer termed the fellowship of suffering, had broken down an ethnic divide. Their common need for cleansing, healing, and saving had brought them collectively to Jesus. Nevertheless, Samaritans and other foreigners were not the immediate goal for Jesus' ministry. 
I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, Matthew 15, 24, New International Version. He planned first to establish a strong mission base among the Jews. Throughout his ministry, however, he gave his followers evidence that the gospel should go to the whole world. Although this point became clear only after his resurrection, even before then, Jesus did things that were to open the minds of the disciples to the idea that world mission would become their main task. Though all these men showed faith, only one turned around and thanked the Lord for what he had received. What does this tell you about why praise and thanksgiving are so important for faith? Listening friend, what are the things you have to be thankful for? Think about how much happier you'd be if you constantly kept them before you. And what better way than by thanking God for all that you have to be thankful for. The Greeks and Jesus John chapter 12, verses 20 to 23, New International Version says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The heartfelt cry of people everywhere is for salvation, for hope, for answers to the deep questions they have in their lives, answers that can be found only in knowing Jesus. These Greeks were probably converts to Judaism since they came to Jerusalem to worship at the feast. Commentators have noted that these Greeks went to Philip, who, though Jewish, had a Greek name, which might have attracted them to him. Thus, while pioneering Christian work can be accomplished by foreign missionaries who have cultural sensitivity and a sympathetic understanding of the people they want to win for Christ, the most effective groundbreaking work is done by people with the same background as the target people. The Greeks came only days before Jesus' crucifixion. They no doubt were amazed by his words about his suffering, his death, and the final victory. The voice from heaven gave them something to think about as well. Jesus would have been encouraged by their desire to see him. Their approach signaled the beginning of world evangelization. It was acknowledged even by the Pharisees, who had exclaimed, the world has gone after him. John chapter 12, verse 19, the New King James Version. In other words, men outside of Judaism wanted to come to Jesus. What a sign that the world was ready for his atoning death. Those Greeks representing the nations, tribes, and peoples of the world 
were being drawn to him. Soon the Savior's cross would draw the people of all lands and in all subsequent times to him. John 12 verse 32 quotes what Jesus had said about his imminent death. And I, if and when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, will draw and attract all men, Gentiles as well as Jews, to myself. The disciples would find the world ready to receive the gospel. Now let's hear that verse in the context of John chapter 12, verses 20 to 32. And think about these questions as you listen. What is Jesus saying about losing your life in order to keep it? Why would he say that in this immediate context? John chapter 12, verses 20 to 32 says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they made this request, Sir, we desire to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, Then Andrew and Philip together went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified and exalted. I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just one grain. It never becomes more, but lives by itself alone. But if it dies... It produces many others, and it yields a rich harvest. Anyone who loves his life loses it, but anyone who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Whoever has no love for, no concern for, no regard for his life here on earth, but despises it, preserves his life forever and ever. If anyone serves me, he must continue to follow me, to cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living, and if need be, in dying. And wherever I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled and distressed. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour of trial and agony? But it was for this very purpose that I have come to this hour, that I might undergo it. Rather, I will say, Father, glorify, honor, and extol your own name. Then there came a voice out of heaven saying, I have already glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd of bystanders heard the sound and said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. Now the judgment, crisis of this world, is coming on. Sentence is now being passed on this world. Now the ruler evil genius or prince of this world shall be cast out or expelled. And I, if and when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, 
will draw and detract all men, Gentiles as well as Jews, to myself. Friend, have you experienced just what Jesus was talking about? Has Jesus' death on the cross drawn and attracted you to him? exploring. Matthew chapter 8 verses 11 and 12. In the NIV quotes Jesus, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Though these words were spoken in a particular context, in reference to a particular people, we shouldn't miss the principle. Those who have been given great privileges, great advantages in terms of spiritual and theological truths, need to be careful. It's easy to become complacent about truths that we have been given. Truths that in some cases no one else is preaching and teaching. First, we need to make sure that we keep ourselves grounded in these truths. Then, second, we need to be willing to teach these truths to those who don't know them. Here are a few points to ponder and some questions to consider. The cross has shown us the absolute universality of all humanity. Before God, we are all sinners, and we all need grace for salvation. Nevertheless, many groups often do see themselves as superior to others. This is common and has been all through history. What about yourself and your own ethnic, social, financial, or cultural group? In what ways do you harbor a sense of superiority to others, different from you? And don't fool yourself, you do harbor. Sometimes we all tend to harbor feelings of superiority. What's wrong with that attitude? And how can you learn at the foot of the cross to change it? The woman at the well went back and witnessed to her own people about Jesus. What does this teach us about missions and the importance of using those of a particular culture to reach their own people? The Greeks wanted to see Jesus. No doubt, they had heard about him or had themselves seen some of the things he had done. Jesus, of course, is now in heaven, and the church, his people, represent him here on earth. What does this mean for you in terms of the kind of life that you live and how you witness?
ambassadorgroup.org. Thanks for listening. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.